Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan. I'm my co-host, as always, Mr. Paddy Farrell. Paddy, how are you this week? I am absolutely fantastic this week, Gary. As fantastic. In the midst of a war. You're fantastic. Uh, there's actually been wars ongoing the entire time that I've been saying I'm fantastic. There's wars all over the world just because you are now scared because it's on your doorstep. That's no, I'm not scared. I'm just extra empathetic toward Ukrainian people. Why? Because they're white? Fucking bigot. You absolute racist. The fact that that would be the first thing that comes to your mind, other than the fact that Ukraine is just such a beautiful, wonderful country. The heart of Orthodox Christianity. Beautiful. The heart of uh, the Kievan Rus, the homeland of Russia. Basically, the roots of Russia, you know? Anyway, look, we're not here to talk about geopolitics. We're here to talk about health. Health and fitness. Um, so today's episode kind of builds on the last episode we did when we were talking about, you know, the like what what is evidence based, you know, what's evidence based practice, or what are, what does it mean to be evidence based? And the reason we went through that is because you kind of need to have that fundamental understanding to then be able to answer today's question, which is how do you research about your own health? Because the way most people go about it is not really all that effective right the way most people go about it is they find some random stuff on social media and go oh this is it this is the the key to better health right and we see this all the time in our clients they'll send us a question or send us you know an email about something um or even like just our followers or whatever they'll ask us a question be like oh i saw insert x person uh posted about this like and it's really hyper niche really like specific topic or issue and go oh this should i I do this or what are your thoughts on this and you can see by that that there is a a fundamental lack of understanding in terms of how to research about your own health or how to think about this stuff and that's not their fault it's not our client's fault it's not the you know individual followers fault or whatever this is a fault of most people because the scientific method is not intuitive it's not how most people think it's not how we well most of us it's not how most of us engage with the world around us so it's actually quite hard to research correctly and i'm saying research in terms of what you know people say research in the general sense of it not actually like go out and do research in a lab type deal right um so it's actually quite hard to figure out what to do yourself so we want to hopefully answer that a little bit more in this episode but i'm going to say at the outset of this episode that we still don't actually have a a great solution to this this problem right it's not like i can go oh here's step one to five do this about everything that you have you know every thought that you have every question that you have about health and fitness etc like do this step one to five and you're done unfortunately we don't really have that we have some things that we can you know bring up to hopefully make your thinking a bit more coherent make your thinking a bit more strategic i suppose but ultimately it is still a very hard endeavor to figure this stuff out still a very hard endeavor to really understand what you should do because there's a load of trade-offs whether it's you know the trade-off of do i do this thing there's trade-offs with you know money maybe or other things but then there's also trade-offs with oh if i don't do these things there's trade-offs with that you know it's not like you just get to opt out and not see consequences to that like you can't just 
as I said before, this is not like an a la carte menu. It's like you can't just pick and choose what you want to do. You kind of have to do everything right if you want to get the actual outcomes, which is unfortunate. So, Gary, what are your thoughts here about how to research about your your own health? Yeah, so I think that one of the things that people might come into this conversation thinking about is the fact that there's there's nothing out there, there's no good guidelines, there's no centralized place where you can go to read about your health. And to some degree, that's true. But to some degree as well, this is kind of the result of, I think, broader institutional doubt or institutional mistrust that has, you know, grown in the West over the last couple of decades. And particularly just, during- just on that, before you go on to that, because I know exactly what you're going to say, but also this is there's a further thing to that people are talking about that in terms of there's no free places to go for this stuff people want to do like this quick like oh i want someone to have done all of this stuff laid it out perfectly for me and just have it free on the internet and like that's like why would that be the case like why (laughs) and whereas in reality there's loads of services that are paid services like you could literally go to a doctor pay them like if you have a doctor friend even pay them a weekly consult fee or whatever and be like i just want to speak to you for an hour for the next you know however many weeks it takes until i really understand everything about my health like you could do that you know but what people are really looking for is free information because that's what we've become accustomed to in the internet age we're like oh you know information should be free because you know i have wikipedia and stuff like that so information should be free where it kind of neglects the fact that the person gathering that information had to pay a lot of money to get that information originally and also put in a lot of time. For example, someone might come to you and go, Gary, oh, what should I do about this injury that I have going on? Because obviously you have a lot of clients that are dealing with pain and injury, rehab, et cetera. And they could come to you and go, oh, what should I do for this? And you've put in four years in college. You've put in countless hours coaching people. You've put in an extra however many years, four years at this stage, I think, uh, in medicine as well further refining your skills and it's like okay well you've put in all this money you've put in all this time why should this person get it for free now we obviously like to provide free information we wouldn't be doing this podcast otherwise but i just wanted to put that out there that there are resources out there but a lot of the time you have to pay for them absolutely and i mean like when i kind of look at my own case i mean it's it's 2022 now i first kind of started in university and um 2013 and, and all that period of time from like from then to when I graduate in 2023 that'll be a decade of study that has been consistently focused on health or health related topics of course probably whatever two to three years before that where you were kind of starting yeah. to get into this about yourself so exactly and, and all that period of time you know I've gone through various situations of my own understanding of health I've unlearned so much stuff and come to a, I think, a more mature understanding of the things that are important for health. But and I'm not, and I'm not positioning myself as an expert in it in in any sense of the world, any sense of the word. But what what you have to realize is that like that's just me. If you're thinking about the you know a, a doctor or consultant, they've got another ten years of very specialist training in a particular area. But you'll still have people online who you know, will read one article and be convinced that that person's whole understanding of health is wrong because of X, Y, Z. And that's the result of, uh, and like sometimes, obviously, experts can be wrong. But often it's the result of, I think, broader institutional mistrust and doubt that makes people feel like 
they're being duped in some way, that there's actually a truth that is not being shown to them about the path to health, whether that be the dietary guidelines are all wrong, the way they told us to exercise is wrong, and they're not telling us about different things in the environment. Whatever specific health claim you're focused on, you'll almost always find someone online who's telling you that the conventional advice is completely wrong and potentially harmful. That's always the case. You can find that in, in the ketogenic diet circles. You can find it on the other side in the vegan diet circles. And diet is, I think, a particularly good example of, of where this becomes relevant. So with, with that in mind, keep, keep that kind of institutional doubt and institutional mistrust in the back of your mind, because this applies to, um, let's say, uh, governmental uh, healthcare bodies like the Health Service Executive or the National Health Service, the NHS um, in the UK. Uh, both of those have dedicated websites that actually put out very legit evidence-based information that people can access. Now, is it going to have the level of granularity that you would get from a personal doctor or a personal coach, to, depending on the specifics of the question? Of course not, because individual situations require individual information. But you can get a very, very solid starting point um, as to what you should be doing to preserve your health long-term based on just free information on those websites. But a lot of people will doubt those for various reasons. It also applies to maybe more formal guidelines published by governmental bodies, such as uh, Eat Well, or what is it, the My Place, all these different types of, of guidelines that will be put out related to nutrition and exercise to give people general guidelines as to how they should eat, how they should exercise, how they should live their lives. Those are all out there. If you go and look up dietary guidelines in Ireland or the UK or other European countries, and you even look across the world, you'll see pretty consi consistent messages. There'll be some variations, but overall, the dietary guidelines between different countries are far more similar than they are different. Um, and if one was to follow them, even if they were to do so very rigidly, they'd probably end up with pretty decent health outcomes because it's a vast improvement compared to the average population diet. So when you look at these kind of guidelines that are put out by, by governmental institutions, by health institutions, they're intended to be generic, but they are very much evidence-based in the vast majority of cases. You will find different areas of debate that have not been resolved yet. Um, for example, you might've seen controversy related to dietary cholesterol. There's been a bit of back and forth in terms of the role of dietary cholesterol um, on blood cholesterol levels and thus cardiovascular risk, partially because of mediating factors like saturated fat intake and, and other, other components of the diet. And the recommendations have changed a little bit over the years. But overall, things are far more similar between this decade, the last decade, the decade before, than they are different. So there's all, there'll always be these little nuances, areas of debate. You know, For example, it might be protein recommendations. The protein recommendations for the general population mightn't be appropriate for you as an individual if you're engaging in a lot of training or trying to gain a lot of muscle. But that's just a, that's baked into the cake. You should expect that from general guidelines. You shouldn't expect them to be perfect for your individual situation. So that is my first message is that the general guidelines that are actually put out to support public health are generally of a very high quality. There's always going to be areas of improvement 
And there are always going to be areas that may not apply to you as an individual. But if you consider them as a population health intervention or piece of population health advice, they're actually of, of very robust quality. That also goes for exercise guidelines. If you read the exercise guidelines, what you'll see is that there's, they recommend you know training all major muscle groups twice per week with resistance training. There's also a recommendation of 150 plus minutes of moderate intensity aerobic exercise, minimizing time sitting, you know, getting active throughout the day, all very reasonable recommendations that would lead to robust increases in health long-term. And again, that's based on evidence. It's based on the fact that we know aerobic fitness is really important. The strength is really important. Minimizing sedentary time is really important. And they're all broad messages that apply to effectively everyone. Now, you have to remember ACSM or whatever exercise guideline you're referring to, the World Health Organization or otherwise, they're not going to be putting out guidelines to maximize muscle hypertrophy in well-trained individuals. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not the goal. The goal is to prescribe exercise in such a way that it preserves health long-term. And again, the exercise guidelines are very much, uh, you know, high quality as well as the dietary guidelines. Now, further to that, it's not as simple as just considering how should I eat and how should I exercise? Because there's actually a lot of other health questions that people might be concerned about. Simple things might be, should I breastfeed or should I bottle feed? What are the benefits of breastfeeding? What are the challenges of breastfeeding? That again is something that you can encounter on the NHS or the HSC website or similar. Very solid information there. Again, it's written in such a way that is going to provide a level of detail that will allow you to understand it adequately, but still simple enough that it's a clear message for the general public. Okay, it's not going to be in-depth aimed at obstetricians or something like that. Similarly, if you were to look up um, cervical cancer screening recommendations, colon cancer, colon cancer screening recommendations, uh, when, to, when to have your blood pressure checked, what's high blood pressure, what's high cholesterol, why do these things matter? All these specific health questions, the vast majority of these are answered for free by doctors on these websites. So to say that there's nowhere you can look to get answers to your health questions is certainly false but I appreciate where the concern comes from. Because if I was a, a lay individual looking for answers about my health, right? And let's say I look up, um, should, I, uh, should I take statins to lower my cholesterol? I might go on the HSE website, the NHS. I might you know, go to the CDC and I'll get certain answers that are fairly evidence-based for the most part. And then what I'll do is I'll scroll down or I'll look up the same question on Instagram or I'll ask a friend and they'll send me all these articles that also look to be very reputable that tell me that statins are the most harmful drug ever developed and cholesterol, having high cholesterol is actually beneficial and you don't want to lower it and it's all a, a scam by doctors to try to make more money. And then you're thinking, oh my God, what, like, what, what should I believe? because there's actually a baked in justification as to why the other information is wrong when people deliver that information. Um, how that manifests is if someone tells you that the reason the doctors are telling you this is because they want you to believe it because they make more money, then any evidence provided by the doctor thereafter is actually sort of irrelevant because you've already started the assumption that they're acting in bad faith. So it's really difficult to actually overcome that. And that's one of the reasons why simply providing people with more information doesn't always work, you know, um, and that's unfortunate. 
because there's, you're challenging the baseline assumptions that will even start to allow you to appraise the information rather than the information itself. So and also, even on top of that, then you might also have had experiences talking to a doctor and they're, you know, condescending to you. They're like, they're not taking your opinion. They're just like, oh, no, this is what they do because, you know, they have whatever five minutes to see you in their general practice or whatever. And then you also might have like, I don't know, gone to college or interacted with academics. And again, a lot of them are very condescending. They have, a, you know, this ivory tower mentality. So you could have this entire worldview of, well, these guys are kind of dickheads. You know, they're really, they're not really listening to me. They don't really care. So there's no empathy there. And then again, you follow the money or you follow the incentives or whatever. And you're like, oh, they're just in it for the money. So these people are dickheads and they're getting paid to tell me this information. Why should I believe them? Right. So you have this whole world narrative that it's very easy to find yourself thinking that way because of the world that you've engaged in, you know? So it's not like this thought process just came from nowhere. Like there is a, a basis for it. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is that there's like, I don't want to come on here today and say blindly trust your doctor and blindly trust all doctors equally, because that's just not the case. I mean, I wish, I wish things were so simple, but the reality is that if you were to speak to a, a team of doctors all working in the same area, they're going to have disagreements about certain things, you know? And I mean, that's a difficult thing for the public to appreciate because it's, it's much easier to kind of take the old school perspective of that, you know, the doctor's always right and just, you know, believe them regardless of what they say. That's, that presents certain problems, but you also are presented with similar problems um, and potentially worse in some cases when you adopt the perspective that the doctor is always wrong. So both are incorrect and trying to navigate that middle ground is actually very challenging. And one of the things that I think will emerge in a lot more clarity from someone that's in the trenches or was in the trenches for many years is that in the next episode of this podcast, it's, we're going to have an episode with Professor Seamus O'Mahony. And he, we actually recorded this already. And we discussed a lot of topics related to maybe some of the perverse incentives that are in place in some cases, how some doctors might be misled some of the practices that maybe aren't so helpful. So we're definitely going to try to show both sides um, and try to leave you with a bit more of a complete understanding. Because I suppose you do have to, you have to come at this understanding that, like particularly when it comes to medicine, you have to come at this understanding that although not all doctor or doctors in general are not going to make decisions in accordance with you know, the financial kickback that they're getting, because the reality is that if you go to your like Cork University Hospital or you go to um, St. James's or somewhere in Dublin and you go in and, and you get a prescription, like the doctor isn't getting anything in return for that. You know, they're not, get, they're not getting any money from that. They're, they're just going to get their, their standard salary and get paid for the hours that they were there. It doesn't matter if they prescribed X or Y. However, there can still be incentives in place that maybe are in the background lurking that mightn't be so clear. An example of that would be a pharmaceutical company might design a drug for cancer, for example, that acts in such a way that it might look like it has beneficial effects and that they report uh, increases in progression-free survival, which is one metric used in cancer that can be a little bit misleading because progression-free survival is effectively a measure that's telling you how long the person survived without progression of their disease. But it doesn't tell you that much about 
their overall um, mortality, their quality of life, et cetera, the things that might matter more to that person. So that drug might be, you know, licensed and prescribed to patients with fairly limited benefit. Um, and the doctors might necessarily even realize that when they're prescribing it. So there's definitely things in the background that make it messy. And that's going to become clear a lot more in the next episode. But I guess overall, what I'm saying is that for the most part, your doctor is very likely to be acting in good faith when they give you information. Of course, you have a right to try and seek a second opinion, particularly if it's something that is a very pivotal decision. Um, but for the most part, if you're looking at guidelines that are put out online or consensus statements and that type of thing, what you have to realize is that for the most part, they're going to be a lot more reliable than a single doctor's opinion because it's the consensus of experts that are relevant to that area. There's some exceptions to that, but most of the time you're talking about peer reviewed information that is not just coming from the mouth of a single person. And that information is likely to be a lot more reliable. So overall, in summary, I think you can start by looking at some of these governmental or health institution websites or published documents and assume that you're probably being led along the right track for the most part in the vast majority of cases. And then if you want a more nuanced understanding, you can go to maybe some of these other areas that we might recommend. Yeah, and we'll get to the actual like, oh, how do you trust individuals in, in a second? We'll get a kind of hierarchy of that in a second. But again, I just want to go kind of recap what you just said there in terms of like following the kind of incentives. Like people say this all the time with doctors where they're like, oh, like, you know, follow the money. And it's like, oh, this is how they're, this is why they're doing it. They get paid X amount for, you know, referring you for a COVID debt, for example, or, you know, uh, if you get get put on statins, like that's, you know, a win for the, you know, big pharma because, you know, statins are one of the most widely prescribed drugs in the world. So like, okay, this, this kind of makes sense. But then you also have to do it to the other people that are providing you information. You know, for example, like obviously we're in the personal training world, so we know a lot of personal trainers. So a lot of people get health advice from personal trainers. And as a result of that, you know, you're kind of just relying on your personal trainer to be able to provide you good information. But again, if we just follow the money, like, I don't know, well, in Dublin, at least, like if you go to a personal trainer, most people would go, you know, maybe three times per week. That would be fairly average. And you're paying 50 to 70 euro for that hour, right? So you're paying that individual, let's just call it 150 euro a week, right? It actually makes sense for them to keep you unwell, <laughs> keep yeah. you sick, keep you not reaching your results because you then keep having to go to them, right? So if you're going, oh, well, my personal trainer said that I should, you know, avoid uh, or I should continue consuming saturated fat because cholesterol, it doesn't fucking matter blah, blah, blah. Like they're not going to see the outcomes of that, right? They're not going to see you in 10 years time, 20 years time with heart disease, you know, <clears throat> like that, that's, it's, it's beyond their scope, first of all, but also it's beyond the time horizon that they're thinking. And you're going to be able to get into phenomenal shape and still be eating saturated fat, you know, it, like it's not going to impact on your ability to get lean or to potentially, well, it might impact on your ability to build muscle in terms of like insulin sensitivity or something like that. But, you know, ultimately it's not going to be such a huge burden on your ability to build muscle or lose body fat. So that personal trainer looks like, oh yeah, I've given you the correct information. You've been able to get lean. You've got into great shape, you know, and I, I saved you from having to pay money towards, you know, big pharma to get your uh, cholesterol under control and then they also seem like somewhat of a uh, 
a guru. So you're like, oh, well, this guy gave me the secrets. They're the only ones that have, they're the only person that has the secrets. So I'll have to keep going to them. And again, if we just follow the money, it's like, okay, well, they're incentivized to keep you going to them, you know? And like, I, I live on, well, I used to live on the outskirts of, of Dublin, basically. Um, and that's the price for coaching there. I can only imagine if you're in the city center, you know, it's probably like 100, 150 euro or whatever per hour. So they're really incentivized to keep you going to, you know. So, again, you have to really think in terms of, OK, yeah, this doctor is potentially incentivized. But so are all the other individuals that you listen to. That social media influencer that you're listening to about X, Y and Z product, like, you know, even like a whatever. Who's that? A, um liver king you know like people are all like big oh liver kings you know he's giving us the, the secrets you know and he's doing all these fucking crazy stunts and whatever else it looks cool it's like this guy is clearly lying to you in multiple ways like he's clearly on the juice like <laughs> you know it's like that there's no like anyone who knows anything it's like that's that's it's clearly obvious right but then it's also he's incentivized for you to follow his whatever his ancestral tenants because he makes money when you do that because he's selling you supplements, you know? So it's like, he's not like, he's basically doing the exact same thing that people say that like big pharma or whatever are doing. He's just doing it on a, an individual basis, even though obviously like he has business partners like Paul Saladino and all that kind of stuff, you know? Um, so look, you have to follow the money, but if you're going to follow the money and you're going to do it one way or follow the incentives and you're going to do it one way, where the other information that you get from someone else or some other source follow the money there like who gets who who wins if you follow that you know you have to take it out as well yeah and what's fascinating about that is that it's actually a much greater incentive generally for the anti-establishment people let's say because like liver king or any influencer let's say that's selling supplements like they're getting much pretty much all that kickback whereas a doctor is getting pretty much nothing you know they're, they're the vast majority of the time they're not getting anything for for prescribing you a drug or not yeah, just on that same example like personal trainers probably get paid well maybe not on average but a lot of personal trainers get paid way more than doctors do maybe not a consultant Especially maybe not like, yeah maybe if you're a consultant in ireland and whatever you're you're high up you're 20 years into the game like you're probably getting paid good wages but i would argue if you're 20 years into the game in personal training you know like there's very easy that you could be on a quarter of a mil if you're playing your cards right you know yeah, like, I mean, especially when you look at the vast majority of doctors that are going to make up the health system, which are not consultants, you know, they're junior doctors, SHOs, registrars, etc. I can tell you from knowing a lot of them and a lot of personal trainers that personal trainer friends are generally doing better, you know, especially if you were to break it down per hour, you know, they're, they're doing a lot better out the other end, um, which is probably a surprise to a lot of people. Uh, but yeah, look, I think that if you think that like doctors in Ireland anyway are rolling around in cash because they're prescribing certain drugs like just go and talk to any doctor and uh, i think and, and work in a hospital for a week and i think you'll quickly lose that perspective uh, but yeah look that's the the kind of institutional stuff i suppose now there's obviously many many other ways that you can research about your health okay some people might have enough interest that they go away and they buy textbooks on physiology, on anatomy, on pathology, to really try and get into the nitty gritty. They might even go as far as to do a medical degree or a sports science degree or a physio degree, depending on what aspect of health they're interested in. However, that's not the vast majority of people. Okay, We're obviously not going to recommend that you go out and buy loads of textbooks. 
Is it something you can do? For sure, it is. However, in my experience, what I find is that it's a very small percentage of people that are going to persist and be honest enough in their um, quest for knowledge that they genuinely try to develop a complete understanding of health through solely their own personal study. It doesn't tend to work that well for people. You know, so if you're a trainer and it's your job or, or someone else and it's your, it's your job and you have to study for that purpose and you're being held accountable by your peers and everything, that tends to work. Um, but for a lot of people who are just researching about their own health, you're generally going to find that it's the, the, the books that are designed more for the public that you'll find in Eason's. They're generally a bit more controversial that people will end up reading. That's what they'll end up reaching for. You know, if you go to uh, Amazon and you look up books about cholesterol, as an, as an example, it's generally going to be all the anti-cholesterol or, uh, anti-establishment perspectives on cholesterol that are going to be recommended. And that's what you'll end up reading. Which is obvious because again, like it seems yeah. like you're getting the secrets, you know, it's like, Oh, this is the, this is the secret information they're They're keeping it from us, you know? So that sells. Yeah. And it's, it's also much quicker path to knowledge than like, I don't know, picking up some lipidology textbook or cardiology textbook to try to understand this stuff in detail. And um, that's not what most people are doing. So I think that if you are someone that's trying to research your own health, sure books and stuff can be great you know podcasts can be great audiobooks can be great but you need to have some grounding in another area i think to be able to put all that in context and that might be having a look at some of the other things we recommended so what do the general nutrition and the general exercise guidelines say for example and then when you're reading these other perspectives what you might want to ask yourself is how does this relate to what it seems like all doctors are recommending um, and all these health experts are recommending. And if there's a significant difference, don't just settle for the answer that they don't want you to know the real truth or, because that's, that's a very juvenile perspective. There might be genuine cases where there actually is a difference of opinion that is valid and the institution might not be correct. You know, the, An easy example of that would be beginning of the pandemic, the CDC were recommending against masks and many other people were saying, you know, masks probably do have some effect. It's probably beneficial. And then within a number of weeks, you had Fauci coming out saying everyone should wear masks and people are like, wait, what? what? How, uh, how did that happen? And yeah, there a was a couple of months later, they're like, everyone should wear two masks. Yeah, two masks, three masks. And, and clearly there was an, an extra incentive in place there to you know, keep masks for healthcare workers. And that played at least some role there. So there are going to be these, these examples where there actually is a discrepancy. And it's absolutely fair to point that out. However, I would start by comparing the institutional perspective, comparing the general consensus among healthcare uh, experts, and then take what you're reading, take what you're listening to on a podcast, an audiobook, et cetera, and ask yourself why there is such a discrepancy. Um, and you might not always get a good answer to that. Um, but you might, if you go genuinely trying to seek answers as to why there's this difference of opinion, you might be able to reconcile that. You know, um, Generally, you'll find that if you're coming across a perspective that's maybe just very out there, like people saying that you know high cholesterol is actually a good thing and you want it to be high, if you just look up... Um, you know, perspectives on maybe that person or that perspective, 
you'll find people kind of debunking things that are, and that's one way to go about it. But as you can tell, like, this is very messy. It's very difficult to try to reconcile all this stuff for yourself. That's one of the reasons why coaching, speaking to a doctor, speaking to a healthcare professional, that these things can actually be helpful because they can give you some sort of grounding for your own reading, you know? Yeah, see, this is the thing. You have to first ask, like, why is this information different from the orthodoxy? Like, why? Why, why, why? This person that's telling you this or this book or this you know, website or whatever, why are they incentivized to tell you this? You know, okay, they could be that, uh, you know, whenever the sky is falling individual and the sky is actually falling. You know, it's like, okay, they, they could be that canary in the coal mine that's alerting you to information that you need that's, you know, actually beneficial for your life, for society, et cetera, et cetera, right? Could be the case. But you have to ask yourself why they are providing this information. Again, let's say, okay, we'll, we can trust them. They, they're not making any money off this. You know, they think that they've stumbled across information, et cetera, et cetera. There are other questions that you can ask yourself in terms of like, like what information will be required to refute this individual? Like, how could I prove them wrong? You know, how would you know, the medical community prove this person wrong? Because this is the thing about science. Like science is supposed to be, you know, well, I was going to say provable, but that's not really the case. You know, we can come as close to proving something as possible. So we can test different hypotheses, you know, hypothesize. Um, we can see which one, what, what shakes out to be correct over the long term, you know? So you can do that. You can ask yourself these questions. You can perform thought experiments. And if you don't have the medical background, the scientific background to do that, again, a quick search on the internet, you'll probably find a hundred articles refuting these different, you know, people that are refuting the medical orthodoxy, you know, like you'll see this again, a common one is like, Oh, like we should eat like, you know, picking on liver King and whatever. And we're like, Oh, we should eat like our ancestors. And it's like, okay, how did our ancestors eat? Let's actually just take apart that consensus. You know, it's like, this guy says like he's made this compelling narrative. That's like, this is how our ancestors used to eat, et cetera, et cetera. Like, how do we do let, let, let let's see how people used to eat. You know, there's ways we can do that. We can look at dietary patterns of, you know, hunter-gatherer people that are, you know, unacculturated at the moment. They're still hunter-gatherer individuals. We can look at historical records. We can look at stuff like, you know, um, archaeological sites, and there might be like bones in the you know, trash heap or whatever. Um, like we can look at this kind of stuff, you know, there's other things that we can do in terms of, you know, bone analysis and different things like that. But ultimately, we can create some sort of narrative, some sort of idea. We can reconstruct the past of what, you know, ancient hominids used to eat or people in the hominidae class used to eat. You know, we can be like, right, this is what they used to eat. And then you can go, okay, well, is this the same as what this person is telling me? People you see, it's like, no, where the fuck are they getting butter from? You know, like there's, there's no way. And it's like, oh, this super high saturated fat diet. It's like, when in history did we eat that? Like, if you look at, if you go hunting now, so where are you getting the saturated fat from? You know, like you might get it in something like, a, I don't know, if you hunted bear, for example, relatively, well, even bear, depending on when to, what time of year that you, you know, uh, hunt them, like they don't actually have that much saturated fat, even though they've, you know, bulked up for the winter, for example, like they're bulking up and the predominant, predominant fat that they're storing is monounsaturated fat. Like if you've ever seen the fat that's on a bear, if you've ever like killed a bear or watched like a bear hunt or whatever, you'll see it's basically more liquid than it is solid which is really weird like you have you have to go look it up to see it like it's very again unsaturated fat rather than saturated fat so again you have to look at this narrative and go okay well this individual is saying this is how humans used to eat 
But when I look at the narrative or I look at the actual consensus in terms of hunter-gatherers that are alive today, you know, our archaeological evidence, et cetera, et cetera, you're like, this is, there's, this is not line up, right? So you have to go, okay, this guy has made a compelling narrative. It sounds right, like eat meat and, you know, butter and whatever else, but it's not how we used to eat. So where's the disconnect here? Why is he selling this, you know, this, this diet, you know? And you'll see this all the time. People will be like, oh, I'm eating like, paleo or whatever it is and it's like this is not like there's no you're not doing what hunter gatherers or other individuals used to do this is you've made something up which is you know perfectly fine you know that's there's nothing wrong with that but it's not the narrative that you're selling you know so you have to be able to ask yourself okay what is what is the proof against this person's point can you take apart their argument can you actually start deconstructing their argument and again if you can't Again, all you have to do is a quick internet search. And I'm telling you, you will find at least five, 10 people that have taken apart an argument, whether it's on Reddit, Substack, you know, what's that other one uh, that people write on, Medium, um, like different things. You'll find information. You know, you'll be like, okay, so this person said X, Y, Z, someone's taken apart this argument. They've provided a refutation of this stuff. And this happens even with, you know, relatively good information you know like say for example matthew walker's book on why we sleep you know like i always be like that's you know fairly good like he does have a bit of a an alarmist and extremist point of view but again most people when it's something that they're passionate about like they're going to have an alarmist and extremist point of view about it like you look at anyone who is involved in climate change uh, stuff it's like they all have alarmist extremist like worst case scenario points of view no one gives out about them unless you're a climate change denier or whatever like but it's like okay that's what they do we just accept that and again it's the same with Matthew Walker but you've seen people online they'll literally go through it and go okay let's let's fact check pretty much everything that he said let's actually go through this and be like is this what the information says you know so you can find that stuff online it's it's freely available again another classic example there would be when that uh a vegan documentary came out on netflix what was it what the health you know game yeah game changers yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah like all those ones all those vegan propaganda basically right and it's like okay like first of all again follow the money who makes money when you watch this it's like oh these people that funded this stuff sell stuff like you know soy protein or pea protein or like whatever like they make money by virtue of you switching to a vegan diet or a plant-based diet so it's like okay so the incentives are aligned that way then it's like okay we can actually do a fact check we can actually go through an analysis of you know what they did you know it was game changers where they literally got the the blood sample or had like yeah the high level of lipids and it's like look at this this is your blood and it's like yeah this is how blood works <laughs> like what the fuck do you like what did you expect if you eat a meal that has like no uh fat in it versus a meal that has fat in it like how do you think the like lipids get around your body? You know, like what, what's going on here, you know? So like you can do stuff, you can fact check this stuff. And if you can't do it as an individual, I, I assure you other individuals have done it. Now, those individuals might be, again, perversely incentivized to destroy this narrative or whatever. But again, this is, if you're looking for free information and you're looking for, oh, well, where's the, where's the line here? What's actually correct? Like you have to kind of, parse through both of those bits of information maybe unfortunate thing is a lot of the time it's not like you'll have something like again game changers or what the hell and it's like it's this nice you know really well done documentary 
whatever mockumentary whatever fuck you want to call it where it's like oh here i just watched this for an hour or two hours or whatever you know they've really drawn me in versus you got this article refuting him it's like oh it's going to take me two hours to read this article and i just don't have the time the patience or whatever to actually do that you know and that's unfortunately the case uh, a lot of the time yes sir um and i think that that brings us to something that is a very difficult question to answer, which is how do you know who you should trust? Um, and that's not something that has an easy answer um, because you might start by saying expertise or credentials, but of course you're going to find exceptions to that rule. You're going to find people who have perspectives that are absolutely incorrect, that have fantastic qualifications, whether it be a PhD medical doctorate, degree in dietetics, or whatever is relevant to that particular question. But it is a starting point. You know, you obviously have to conclude, are you, you're, you're going to come to the conclusion that there's a much higher probability that someone with a medical doctorate is going to know more about health questions than someone who does not have that. Okay, like that's a, a fairly very rough level of analysis. It's a starting point. If you can then move to the next step, which might be, does it seem like this person um, has honesty and integrity in the way that they deliver information? Do they appear that they're acting in good faith? Are they selling something? I.e., is there a reason that the information that they're presenting, if true, would benefit them financially? Um, that's clearly something that's important here. Additionally, are their perspectives, do they seem to be, you know, very against what others with similar qualifications are saying? If so, why? Much like everything we just discussed, you know, what's the difference here? Sometimes there's valid reasons. In many cases, there aren't. So that's something you have to consider, not just the person's credentials, but how their perspective with their credentials varies from others in similar positions to their own. That's often a way that you can spot someone who maybe is promoting information that's incorrect or misleading is that if they stand out amongst their peers as someone with a perspective that is just totally against theirs, against the consensus, a lot of the time that's going to be incorrect. In some cases, and these are the stories we kind of romanticize, you know, we fantasize over the person's going to be correct, you know, when they were the martyr, their work was, you know, like Semmelweis is a classic example here who basically introduced um, hand washing in medicine through his, uh, his observations. Initially, he was kind of outed a bit by the medical community. You know, I can't remember the exact treatment he got, but he was basically looked at as, as kind of a, a bit of a quack as someone who was, was he not like deemed the lunatic not yeah, that's what I, was, I was thinking i didn't want to go into specifics but i think it was something more extreme than that yeah like, like you were like you're literally in a fucking insane asylum like this, <laughs> yeah. you, you're talking about these little things we can't see that are fucking causing injury and disease and everything and it's like he died in an insane asylum and then he was validated i think that's the story anyway yeah because effectively like this was before the time of the germ theory of disease so like we take it for granted these days that bugs microorganisms etc lead to disease in some way but th that wasn't known and obviously if you can't see them that's a very difficult thing to prove but what Semmelweis observed was that um the there seemed to be a, a higher rate of um infant mortality and potentially maternal mortality i can't remember maternal mortality mostly 
yes, maternal some maternal mortality because he was an obstetrician himself, and higher rates of maternal mortality in areas where medical students um, were visiting, and it was effectively one of the reasons was because medical students were effectively coming from the morgue <laughs> from their anatomy labs um, without washing their hands or anything. And then they come in and they'd be assisting with the delivery, handling the baby, et cetera. So clearly there's very high risk of, of contamination there. Um, but so he thought that, you know, let's see what happens with hand washing. And you had this drop in mortality, which is fantastic. But because there was basically no way of verifying that, you know, he was, you know, seen as being a bit of a lunatic, but he was correct. And that's a that's an example that you know is should could be held up as a justification for anyone who goes against the grain. But of course, that's an, a massive outlier of a situation, and especially these days, because what you have to realize these days is that those kind of like low hanging fruit um, findings are increasingly rare in science. Science is a lot more complex, a lot more kind of team-based these days where someone might have expertise in like not just a protein, but one amino acid of that protein or something. Um, and they do their entire life's work on that particular area of health, which is a subcellular component. Um, whereas back in the day, like those things that were as broad as hand-washing were still left to be discovered. So naturally over time, as you get a, a more in-depth understanding of, of how health and disease works, it's less likely that there's going to be these low hanging fruit that people are going to discover that no one else was aware of. They will happen every now and then, but increasingly rare. So my point there is that, yes, you know, there are going to be cases where people have findings that go totally against the grain and everyone thinks they're nuts. But the vast, vast majority of the time, I think it's safe to assume that if 90 plus percent of experts in that field with those qualifications agree on something and there's a few people standing to the side saying that it's all incorrect, I'd probably stand with the majority, you know, um, and you might regret that in some cases. But See, this is the thing, like science is a slow moving machine. You know, it's, it's not supposed to be like, oh, one guy proved this thing. It's like, okay, you did this experiment. You did this. You showed this result. Cool. Now you have to give us the details, the methods, et cetera, of how you did that. So I can go to my lab and I can see if I can repeat that. Oh, I can't repeat that. Is it something I'm doing differently? Did you get, you know, incorrect results? You know, okay, someone else in Japan or fucking wherever else is like, oh, okay, I'm going to try that experiment as well. I'm going to repeat that. Oh, I can't repeat that. Okay. So maybe the individual that is saying this stuff, this stuff is not repeatable. Obviously, it's not, you know, quality science. There's something wrong with the experiment or everyone who's trying to repeat it is doing something wrong, you know? And, you know, presuming, let's say it goes all well, you do this experiment and everyone's able to repeat it, then it's like, okay, we're onto something now. Let's do, you know, harder experiments. Let's really try to refute this. Let's really try to isolate exactly what's going on, you know? Like, even in this day and age, like, we still don't know all the bioactive components in food, you know? Like, just food we eat food every single day like they an individual who is the top of the top top food chain knows everything there is to know about everything about nutritional science or whatever if you're like okay tell me every single bioactive component in this apple that i'm eating you know they probably would not be able to tell you they definitely wouldn't be able to tell you okay and how do all of those different bioactive components whatever affect my body they would not be able to tell you you know so we have you know, a pretty big picture, but we don't have the whole picture. 
right? But like Ari was saying, it's we have enough of the picture where it's like, okay, this is pretty good resolution. I know what this picture is. You know, back in the day, basically it was pre-1900, back in, back in the day, um, they really didn't know what was going on. They had some smudges on the wall as a picture. Like that was it. The granularity was not there. And this is especially evident in like, you know, physics. You see this a lot where it's like, you know, before 1900, like you could be a poet and you could be pretty well versed on physics, you know, like maybe you didn't know a lot of the, the finer detail where you didn't know the, you know, oh, this is exactly how Newtonian physics works. I don't know the maths or whatever, but you could have pretty good understanding. It's just basically a narrative or a, a, a review of it. But then as we started really refining our understanding and we started getting into like the quantum world and really understanding like the photoelectric effect and all of these different things, it becomes impassable to individuals to actually understand because it's basically all just based on maths now, you know? And it's like, okay, if you don't understand matrices or something, it's like, you're not going to be able to understand quantum physics. You're not going to be able to understand the secrets to the world. So you're going to have to trust those individuals that understand this stuff, right? Because it's not intuitive and it's kind of the same with health. Like a lot of the stuff is not intuitive stuff that you're like oh this makes sense and in terms of a narrative uh, review it's like oh this is how humans have always done it it's like okay cool humans have always bashed each other's brains out doesn't mean we should keep doing it you know it's like just because it's something that's been done doesn't mean that it needs to continue to be done doesn't mean that it's the best way to do something humans have always evolved like imagine the first person that invented the wheel or whatever and everyone else is like jesus no we're, we're not doing that because no, we, we've always done it this way. You know, we always just drag our whatever stuff. When you're telling me you can build something that'll roll it around. No, 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 no. You know, like we want to have that innovation, but unfortunately that leads to situations where you're going to have individuals that are telling you that they're innovators, that they have the secret when in reality, it probably is better to keep doing it the way that it's always been done because the way it's always been done is something that works. So you can see that there's that dichotomy there where you want some innovation, you want individuals to be questioning the narrative, but you maybe don't want to be the one that is the experiment that questions the narrative. Like you do see this all the time. Like we've obviously said it a lot in terms of uh, the like saturated fat, cholesterol, that kind of stuff, heart disease. You know, we've, we've talked about that a lot on the podcast previously and obviously in this episode as well. But like you don't want to be the one that is testing the hypothesis that, oh, I wonder if saturated fat doesn't affect my heart disease risk you know you don't want to run that experiment for the next 30 years and have a heart attack or potentially which you see a lot of these days people doing these really low carbohydrate diets and really high fat diets going like oh this is this is the way that we should be eating and all of a sudden you see them having a heart attack at like 33 you know or having like really major cardiovascular events at a really young age and you're like okay this could be a combination that you just have genetics that have predisposed you to this but then you run this experiment that, you know, increases your risk as well. And now we have something really bad going on. You know, you've really stacked the deck against you. So again, it's really hard thing to nav or navigate yourself as an individual where you're like, okay, do I listen to this person that's telling me that the sky is falling, that everything is wrong, et cetera. Here's the, here's the new way to do it. Here's the better way to do it. Or do I listen to the, oh, this has always been done, you know, because both can be wrong. And both can be right. 
you know and there's obviously even grades in between there there could be like oh well a little bit of this is good but a little bit of this is you know good as well you know so it's 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 quite hard yeah and i suppose the next component of this then is is, is a harsh enough reality but that is that like truth in its purest form doesn't market well and this is why basically every marketing campaign in history is the kind of perfect ideal of a product, how it makes you feel, you know, what, what it's going to do to your life. It's never just, this is the product. This is exactly what's in it. And this is exactly how it's made. Obviously that's not going to sell as well as like the perfect McDonald's burger that's made out of plastic and glue and taking picture pictures are taken in a lab on a single day, right temperature, all this sort of stuff. And then, you know, some, young fit person eating the burger as they go about their day like living a boss life driving an aston martin or all the place like the, like these are the types of things that, that sell well it's never just here's a person consuming this product here's a person using this product just in its purest form that's that's not that's not marketing and the same thing applies to to social media like the people who get the most followers the people who get the most engagement are basically trying to either twist the truth or present a fantasy in some sort of way, you know, like for, for the easiest ex example that we keep going back to is probably liver King, because you look at someone like liver King and you see, right, this guy has an unbelievable physique. He seems to live in this massive house. He's flying in private jets. He's going all over the world. He's doing all these cool things that people would love to be able to do shooting guns, firing <laughs> rockets from tanks, <laughs> like all this sort of stuff that is just amazing to people. Um, but if you were to like take it down like purely to its purest form, if he had a crap physique, he would, didn't present himself as thriving in everyday life. And he was just like, oh, here I am eating raw liver. You should do this. Like, that's not sexy. That's not going to get you anywhere. But when it's packaged up in this kind of fantasy world, it seems a lot more sexy and a lot more attractive to people. And it sort of removes the need for any sort of rigorous uh, justification for his practices you know he doesn't need to tell you that this is going to lead to uh, better health based on these uh, studies or anything like that because he's saying instead i eat this look at me look at my life you want this there you go okay that's so easy to market compared to someone who's going to the effort of putting together detailed infographics about um how certain vitamins and minerals act in the body and why you want more of them, why you want less of them. Like that appeals to a certain niche, but you're not going to have people with millions of followers who are just putting out raw information. It generally has to be packaged in some sort of fantasy um, some, some sort of sexy sales pitch. And that's just the unfortunate reality of, of human psychology, marketing, etc. And that's not going to change anytime soon. So the, the, the message there is that, you know, don't just look at follower counts and assume that that is a an indicator of reliability. It can be up to a certain point. And from what I've observed, the people who like are, have been consistently consistently putting out really high quality information for many years, like a lot of them are in the kind of 10 to 100,000 follower range. You know, that seems to be the place where you'll find a lot of people that are have been, let's say, doing five plus years of consistent social media content, you know, everyday reliable information. I, I expect more out of a page in that, in that 
spectrum than someone who has millions and millions of followers. You know, I'm generally more skeptical of someone with millions of followers. Um, but yeah, again, that, because you can just, you know, effectively pay for followers, you know, yeah. you're like, oh, even if it's just paying for ads, you know, which I have nothing against that. It's like, you're still paying for followers, basically. It's, it's marketing. Like if it didn't work, you know, people wouldn't do it, you know? So it's like, this definitely works. But you can also have all these like Instagram, especially like trickery. Like you see, I know so many individuals remember back in the day when uh instagram used to have that function where you could see what people were liking you know you could whatever swipe left or whatever it was yeah. and you could see what people were liking and you could clearly see that certain individuals were just using like bots to just like like photos every hour or whatever whatever to to get around the instagram like ban hammer you know where it's like oh they're using a bot they just have just stay under that you know and it's like following and unfollowing follow and follow all those kind of things and it's like like that it's cool. Like that's, that's fine. You know? Um, but it's like, you can see that that's how people built their following, you know? And you've seen it like even today, like I know so many individuals that I'm like, Oh, you're on whatever 20 K followers or whatever it is. And I'm like, yeah, I know what you used to do. I know how you got those followers. I know since you've stopped doing it and your follower hasn't, your following hasn't grown, you know, like it, it happens. Um, so you can't really rely on, you know, following follower count. You, know, you can't really rely on that and it's unfortunate because it would be pretty handy if it was like oh this person puts out good information i'll just follow that you know but then you also have individuals that it's just like they just exist they're just doing their daily life you know like i don't know cristiano ronaldo or something you know it's like it's not like he's putting fantastic information or fantastic content out on instagram or whatever still has millions of followers just because he's cristiano ronaldo you know so it's like you can't really you know compare to that you know um but look, let's give it, first of all, let's go through a, a few different things, right? So we want to talk about trusted individuals versus high profile individuals, right? So how do you really understand where to go with that? How do you really understand this individual? First of all, credentials. What credentials this is, does this individual have? Do they have some sort of, if they're, again, we're in the health and fitness world. Do they have some sort of medical degree? Do they have some sort of scientific degree? Do they have a lot of experience? Even? Like I would take like, you know, a personal trainer or a coach or whatever that has been doing this for 30 years. I'd be like, all right, like you've built up a lot of experience. You know, some of it might not be perfect, but like that's the nature of experience. Some of it's not going to be perfect, right? So do you have that? Have you spent however many years really honing this stuff. So credentials and experience, that's what you're looking for when you're looking at this individual. You're like, okay, what is their, where are their credentials? What are they? What, what, what have they done? What research have they done even? Like if they're like, okay, I'm, I, I figured all this stuff out. It's like, okay, well, how did you figure all this stuff out? Or did this just come out your ass? Like that's literally how people used to live before the scientific revolution. You know, it's like people literally used to just come up with ideas and be like, yeah, let's just, like, this is how I think the world was created. You know, it's literally just a lunacy. It's basically like how psychology is. No offense to psychologists, but it's like <laughs> psychology is basically just like, oh, this guy had an idea. This is how he thinks that the mind works, you know? And it's like, that's not science. That's just like whatever fucking Freud or something going like, I think that uh, this is the reason for this. And some of it might be, you know, quasi-scientific or, you know, might actually be correct. It might actually be how the mind works. But it's basically just some guy, you know, like if you do a psychology degree, they do a lot of science. Yes, for sure. Not bagging on that. But a lot of their stuff is just dedicated to like, and this is what this guy thought about human emotions or how he, the brain worked. And this is what this guy or this girl or whatever thought about this. It's like, what, what the fuck world are we living in here? This is, this is not science. You know, it's like, this is just, this is what this guy thought. Like imagine in a hundred years, people were just quoting back and going like, this is what Gary thought about exercise, you know, like, 
based on what? What did he base this stuff on? Okay, his clinical experience, et cetera, whatever. But it's like, that's, that's not science. That's just like, oh, we've done it this way. This seems to work. This seems to be a good framework. Let's keep using it. It doesn't mean that it's comp- like perfectly correct, right? So we want to look at credentials. We want to look at experience. We want to have a better understanding of that stuff if we're going to be you know, putting out information. But then also, if we're going to be getting information from someone, we want to know what their credentials are. We want to know what their experience level is, right? Are they just making this shit up? Are they literally just pulling it out of their ass? Oh, they are? Okay, cool. I can just ignore this stuff. It might be entertaining or whatever, but it's not it's not relevant, you know? Then again, like you said, we want to have that honesty and integrity. This is a little bit harder to see. Again, you can ask questions with this in terms of like, you know, are they marketing stuff? Are they trying to sell you stuff? Are they like, oh, you know, follow this diet and they're, they're literally selling you products that you need to consume to follow that diet or whatever, right? Like what's the, what's the, what's the level of honesty, integrity? Like you can talk to someone, you can usually figure this stuff out. I know some individuals are not great at figuring out the, intentions of other individuals and obviously other individuals are great at making it so that people can't uh, figure out their intentions but ultimately we should have some sort of consensus right and again like you can do this all the time like you see this in the health and fitness world like the fitness world particularly like you'll see people get accused of like sexual misconduct and all various different kinds of you know whatever you want to call them sexual abuse basically and people still keep following them right and it's like okay well this is a First of all, I know myself and you, Gary, would agree. Like, this is fucking disgusting. Like, sexual crimes, in my mind, should just be the death penalty. They should be crucified and blood-eagled and put on a public square. But anyway, um, regardless of that, you should still be like, okay, well, this, this person clearly doesn't have integrity. Like, if they're willing to do this, you know, and if multiple, like, say, women or whatever are saying that this individual has done this to me, this person clearly doesn't have integrity, you know? So... Or, and they're definitely not honest. Um, so it's like, you, you can't trust them then. They're an untrustworthy individual. So if you still support them after that, what the fuck are you doing? You know, it's like this, they, they've shown their true colors. So you can't trust the information that they're providing. And again, unfortunately, you see this all the time in the health and fitness world where stuff will come out about individuals. They might even have like criminal records and everything as a result of this stuff. And people will still follow them, you know, still be like, oh, great information, you know? And again, you you probably don't even know like there could be individuals that you follow where you're like oh this individual actually has a charge sheet against whatever you know um and then again we're also looking for stuff that's just like not just good marketing you know it's like it's not just oh this looks really cool this lifestyle or this you know infographics or whatever it is right and again as we were saying like oftentimes the highest profile individuals they're not the best individuals you know and unfortunately that doesn't make it easier for you to find the best information right so you can do a few things to overcome that you can look at like how did this individual become higher profile like what was the defining thing oh it's just like oh they just post memes or something or it's like okay cool maybe they're not the best for information as a result of that or you know maybe they i don't know they just paid for their followers or whatever you look at their engagement and they just have no engagement you know they're like getting like five likes on photos and stuff despite having like hundreds of thousands of followers you know it's like okay something's going on here right um so that is how you should be kind of thinking about the individuals that you follow right but let's put this in context right in terms of like how are we actually putting that in context of how we do the basic research we want in terms of our health 
So the first thing we're starting with, you, you're just a new individual to this. You're starting with government and non-government bodies, you know, like uh, the NHS or whatever. And you're just looking at their websites. You're looking at the information that they put out, you know, the who, the whatever it is, whatever the topic is, you're like, okay, are there government bodies or, you know, scientific bodies or whatever that are putting out information on this, right? It might not be perfectly relevant to you. You know, it might not be like, oh, this is how you grow your calves or whatever. But it's like, okay, let's actually see what, the guidelines are for exercise in general let's make sure at least i'm doing that kind of stuff right okay cool you see that then you go to textbooks maybe like okay let's see what the textbooks say right you might not be able to read a textbook you might not be able to get the information from that it might not be perfectly relevant for you right and again we can also do on top of that we can do like research review papers you might be able to access research reviews on like pubmed or whatever on a certain topic blah 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 right and then we start looking at trusted individuals again we're looking for medically scientifically qualified or you know high level of experience ideally we want to have someone that is reviewed right like a, a doctor gets reviewed you know it's like you, you have to keep your uh, medical license you know it's not like it's just something that you get to keep forever it's like no like if you do stupid shit like your medical license or your ability to do science or whatever it is can be revoked you know so it's like we have to look at that stuff that obviously gives an external validation to the information that people are putting out. So we can do that. That's how we look at, okay, we'll start with the government bodies. Maybe we'll go to textbooks, maybe research review papers. And then we can start looking at trusted individuals, right? But ultimately what we want to do is we want to couch this in a thought process of looking at the principles, not the protocols, right? Because this is what a lot of people do. They just look at protocols. You know, if I'm like, oh, I want to grow my legs rather than trying to understand, okay, well, what actually builds muscle? What, what is required to build muscle, right? What are maybe, like, how do these muscles work? Like the leg muscles, for example, you know? How do they work? People don't do that. People go, oh, I want to have this training program. Just give me the training program that I have to do that'll build my leg muscles, right? That's a protocol. That's just a certain protocol that some individual is coming up with. That protocol could be good, could be bad, could be fucking lunacy for all you know because you don't understand the principles. So you have to go back, you have to take a step back and go, okay, well, what builds muscle? Do I know what builds muscle, right? And we've talked about it on previous episodes. We won't go into it here. Do I know what these muscles do that I'm trying to target? Like, okay, I do know what they do. I know how they function, right? Do I know how to pick certain exercises that are going to be you know, going to target those muscles, but then are also good for my body, right? But for in terms of your individual biomechanics, your individual anatomy, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like you have to, be able to do that. And then you can start looking at the actual protocol that you use because you have that information. You can look at the protocol and go, oh, this is a scientifically sound protocol because it incorporates X, Y, Z. It has, you know, X number of sets. It's choosing X number of exercises. You know, there's a frequency there, et cetera. Like you, you're going to the principles, not the actual protocols, right? And if you do that, you understand the principles and the protocols or in, understand the principles and then implemented with protocols you're in a fantastic place right and this is really serves you well if you're trying to understand your health in general because obviously that makes it very easy for the you know training side of things but also on the nutrition it's like okay well how much protein do you need like how much carbohydrates fats do you have a basic understanding of how this stuff is metabolized in your body. Like I'm currently writing an article and doing a video and stuff for the coach's corner on that stuff. And it's basically like I've refined it down to about 7,000, 8,000 words on 
the metabolism of all this stuff, right? So it's like, it's not like this stuff is so crazy in depth that you couldn't read that in whatever, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, maybe, you know, depending on obviously your ability to comprehend, et cetera, accounting for that, right? Um, so it's like, you could figure out this stuff yourself and spend hours upon hours looking at different things and trying out this protocol and doing whatever, but it's like, or you could just understand the principles. Now you understand those principles so much easier to actually put protocols in place that make sense. Like, again, just going to that same article, it's like, there's so many things that it's like, if you understand basic metabolism, you don't get duped into these various different diets that claim to do this different thing. Like, oh, carbohydrates are not essential, so you shouldn't eat them. Like, we don't want to have carbohydrates in our body. It's like, well, your body's making them regardless. Like, your body can make those carbohydrates from other stuff you know, um, like certain amino acids and, you know, different things in the body, right? So it's like this, it's fundamental to understand this stuff if you're actually trying to implement this stuff, especially if you're trying to coach other individuals, you know? Um, so that's kind of how we want to be thinking about this stuff. You want to understand the principles, then you can start looking at the protocols. How do we start understanding the principles? Well, you can start at government bodies, you can start at like non-government organizations, etc. Maybe go to textbooks if that's your jam. You can look at research review papers. Maybe again, you don't have the scientific literacy to go through that stuff. So then we look at trusted individuals and trusted, again, ideally they're medically qualified or scientifically qualified or whatever or have a great deal of experience and ideally they are outside validated like they have some governing body that's over them that's like okay you know we make sure that you know the right stuff right and that's kind of how you solve this question of how to research about your own health which unfortunately is not as easy as just going oh yeah watch this documentary on netflix or oh follow this one person on social media that has uh two million followers or whatever it is like unfortunately it doesn't work that way now again this sounds like a fucking marketing whatever because obviously we sell coaching but another great way would be just to outsource this stuff get someone again that you trust you're like okay these guys seem to put out good information get coaching with them if it's in regards to like health and fitness stuff that we do you know um or again like i said you might have to pay for certain services. You know, it's not like someone's going to spend 200 hours, put together all of this different stuff and then go, yeah, here, it's free. Take it online. I don't get any kickback from this. I'm sure there's individuals out there that are like whatever, independently wealthy, wealthy even, and they can just spend all that time on it. But if we were to do that, for example, Gary, we're just go, oh yeah, we're actually just going to take out the next 500 hours. We're just going to do that for free. And we're just going to create all these resources. We're going to do all this kind of stuff. It's like, okay, well, that means that we are now 500 hours poorer than we could have been you know and like that unfortunately for us is not something that we can do <laughs> you know so you have to kind of take that stuff into account you're like okay well how do i put this stuff together myself maybe i'm gonna have to pay for this stuff right? maybe i'm gonna have to outsource to individuals that know more than i do you know if it's a consultation if it's coaching if it's you know whatever it is you might just have to pay it might just be a service even it might just be a, a product it might just be like oh here's a book on this stuff that seems to be really well researched etc cetera, etc cetera. you know check yeah not yeah, sure I too much else to add yeah I, I i don't don't really either you know that was that's how we wanted to do this podcast or we wanted to answer this question and i know it's not exactly the most helpful you know but that's why we did the last episode in terms of understanding what evidence actually is you know so you have a better grounding of oh this is what evidence is how do we research about our own health oh okay this is how we actually go about researching about our own health cool now we can actually start 
hopefully making better decisions, making better choices, et cetera, et cetera, and thus being healthier as a society. Because I know, I know everyone is going to share this episode on their social media. They're going to tag us. They're going to be telling their parents. They're going to be you know, telling their friends. Basically, it's going to you know, spread like wildfire. Yep, that's what's going to happen. And I mean, look, if, if that's all not for you and you'd like help from us, then we do have coaching spaces available. So that's the reason that we recorded this podcast is to turn it into a marketing pitch and get you to buy our products. Now, in all seriousness, we do have coaching spaces available if you would like help. Um, we work with a number of different clients, people who want to build muscle or lose fat, you know, body composition clients, people who want to get stronger, people who want to improve their sports performance people with pain or injury that prohibit them from pursuing any of the other goals, for example. And then of course, people who just want to improve their health. Maybe they've got a medical condition or they've got something that they're worried about and they want to make sure that their health is in a good place through training, nutrition, lifestyle, etc. We can hopefully help you out. So check out the information in the description box below and we will get you on the right track. Otherwise you can keep up with our free information on Instagram at Triage Method and at our respective coaches pages. Also on our newsletter, Triage Method uh, email list, which you can subscribe to below. And then, uh, of course, the podcast, which comes out every week, which is filled with information, which often includes uh, show notes with some extra information that you might find beneficial. So if that's uh, something you're enjoying listening to, maybe it's your first episode or you've listened to hundreds at this point, Please do share it. Please do leave a, a review if you can. And uh, we would really appreciate that. I have nothing else to add. Um, so, yeah. Enjoy yourself, guys. And we'll see you in... Well, actually, you won't see me in the next one because the next one, Gary, did an interview. So I'll see you in a, a couple of weeks' time. Peace out. <laughs>